Hey, greetings and good day. Welcome to a special uh, interview edition of Bros All Day. We're going to do a few of these uh, as the year goes through, where it's easier just to do, especially by the phone, just do one at a time. Uh, so it's me, Drew Fair Service, joining you. And uh, today we have a very special guest. Uh, you know him from the StatCast podcast. You know him from StatCast on MLB. You probably remember him from Fangraphs. Uh, if you're really old, you might remember him from uh, Mike Scotia's uh, tragic illness way back in the day. He, uh, you also probably know him from MLB Network. Uh, he is the, the, the villain of the, the positional top 10 lists. Uh, uh, Mike Cucciello. Mike, how are you? Oh, boy, I didn't know I was the villain, but um, I guess I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, I guess, because I don't want to just go along with what everybody else is doing. I'm doing wonderful, Drew. It's great to be here. I'm glad. You, you, I feel like you always end up being the villain, um, especially if there is a Nolan Arenado reference at any point. Then you oh, God. The devil. Because you fail to recognize that Nolan Arenado uh, is better at his job than anyone's ever been good at their job in, their, in the history of the world. Yeah, and listen, I haven't even gone into that. I think Matt Chapman might be as good or better a defender, and uh, we're going to get there, and that's not going to make it any better. <laughs> well, as much as I would like to talk about Nolan Arenado, because I think he's very good too, although he's the only baseball player I ever saw reading the chive on his phone uh, in the clubhouse, uh, so that uh, is, is another issue for another day. But we're going to talk about uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, because that's what we do here on Birds All Day. And uh, we'll look at it from the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Looking at it from the the stack-ass kind of perspective. And I think the number one place we want to start, for, that I want to start, is probably the most interesting um, Blue Jay, is Marcus Stroman. Because Marcus Stroman is unique. Marcus Stroman has long been known as a guy who has a bit of a kitchen sink approach, and he threw way too many pitches, and he you know was a bit of a dabbler. And now it seems like he kind of refined his, um, his arsenal, but he's still tinkering and he's all about different arm angles and now he's talking about dropping down I, uh, I would love your perspective on on Stroman I mean I think that in Toronto we hold him in a pretty high regard because he's very good but uh, you know do we think that this is maybe like have we seen the best of Marcus Stroman or do you think there's another step that he can make I mean, my first reaction to Marcus Stroman is, aside from baseball, I just think he's like one of the 10 coolest guys in baseball. I'm very into the Marcus Stroman experience. But when I when I look at what he's done over the last two years, um, it's really interesting to me because if you look at the traditional surface level stats, he had a very bad year in 2016, right? He was 9 and 10, a 437 ERA. And then last year, a uh, pretty good year, 13 and 9 and a 309 ERA. Now, as you probably know, I don't care about any of those stats, but mm -hmm. that's kind of what the, the general uh, consensus was. But if you look a little deeper, he had pretty much the exact same years. If you look at, for example, strikeout rate, 19%, uh, you know, give or take a decimal point in each of the two years. Walk rate, basically identical, you know, 6% walk rate to 7% walk rate. Home runs per nine, 0.93 to 0.94, even batting average on balls in play. Everything was pretty much exactly identical. And then you see the results, you know, they varied so much. Even if you look at our favorite StatCast uh, pitching metric right now, it's called expected weighted on base margin. What it does is it, it throws out the outcomes. And so it tries to get rid of uh, the effects of defense or the effects of ballpark. And it just looks at actual strikeouts and walks and the expected outcomes of exit velocity and launch angle. And obviously for a guy like Stroman, a, a big ground ball where you need to pay attention to launch angle. And if you look at those numbers, pretty much exactly the same thing. In 2016, he had a 310 expected weighted on base. And in 2017, he had a 314 expected weighted on base. So pretty much everything I see says that he was the exact same guy but the outcomes were wildly, wildly different. And what I guess that means is that while I like him very much, uh, I think the, his style of pitching 
sort of lends itself to a little bit of randomness because he's never been a huge strikeout guy, you know, and he's, he's never really going to be that, you know, Chris Sale kind of Corey Kluber guy who blows people away. He's always going to rely on ground balls, which is great when everybody's trying to lift and everybody's trying to hit home runs, keeping the ball on the ground is very powerful, but it does, it leads to some outcomes that you can't control. So when I, when I see him, I see kind of the same guy the last two years who's had two very different outcomes and, I guess the true talent is probably somewhere in the middle, which is great. That's like an above average pitcher. Um, but I don't know that I see the, the swing and miss stuff to really take that next step into being a true ace, or at least, at least where I stand. That's interesting because I'm, I'm a little wary of ground ball guys going forward in the fly ball uh, revolution. I feel like obviously Mike Trout is not anything to his, he is exceptional. So it's not anything to base on, but so many players like Trout have geared their entire swing about uh, off of hitting, you know, guys who are living at the bottom of the zone, and and I know that that ground ball pitchers have always given up more home runs on like a per batted ball basis. So I'm a little wary of, of ground ball guys, and I think we'll get into that because I have I have concerns about Aaron Sanchez that I I'm hoping that you'll be able to put to rest for me. But but going back to Stroman, so I, I, do you think that I mean. I also think that we kind of overlook his stuff a little bit. I mean, he throws like 94, 95, right? He's not, you know, he's not up there just Dallas Keuchel trying to get by on on, on slop, right? I mean, he, he, he is effective um, in terms of like being being stuff-wise among the, the better. I mean, he's maybe that's, that's sort of table stakes at this point, throwing 94, 95. But uh, I think that it's fun for us and for me to watch him because he is so willing to to try to add and supplement what he has with all of that funky stuff and throwing people off. I wonder if, if that's going to be more the future. Are more and more pitchers going to try to try to, to, to emulate what Stroman is doing with a really minimalist sort of uh, wind-up, but lots of different moving parts that he can use to fool batters? Yeah, he's, he's definitely like a Johnny Cueto in that sense. But I don't think it shows up in his pitch usage. Like, if you look at his numbers from last year, he was basically 80% sinker slider. Right, a few changeups, a couple of curveballs here and there, but for the most part, he was a two-pitch pitcher, right? And, and that's tough for a a righty who does not miss a lot of bats. So that's a little bit worrisome for me. And then when I look at, uh, I actually just noticed this right before we came on. And I thought this is fascinating and not necessarily in a good way. If you look at every pitcher last year who allowed at least 100 ground balls, and mm-hmm. we're talking uh, 200 guys, all right? He allowed the second hardest exit velocity on those ground balls, 86.5 miles an hour. Now, to some extent, exit velocity on ground balls doesn't matter as much as it does in the air because if you hit it hard to, let's say, Nolan Arenado, he's still going to catch it, but it's not great. You know, you don't want to allow high exit velocity if you can avoid it. So, you know, I, I hear him talking about being funky and changing arm slots and messing with the timing of hitters, and I love it. I, that's great, but I haven't actually seen it come through. You know, you, you got to be able to throw more than two pitches, uh, you know, 80% of the time if you're really going to be that funky guy because otherwise – you are a guy with a really good sinker who throws it hard and a pretty good slider that can sometimes miss some bats, but gets more ground balls more than anything. And I think that puts somewhat of a ceiling on them. And as you said, you know, ground ballers are not guys I look at as, as having a lot of growth potential unless they start missing bats because there's so much that can happen when you put the ball on the, on the ground. You know, you got to make sure that the defense behind you can handle it. I know that was an issue somewhat last year. Uh, so a very good pitcher and above average pitcher, an exciting pitcher, but I, I don't see right now where he's going to get that next thing that's going to push him into a top 10, top 15 kind of guy in the majors. Well, I think you're, what you've missed here, if I may well actually you, is the quality of the defense behind him. As you, I saw you point out on Twitter earlier today, the shortstop for the Blue Jays, who was not the most fleet of foot, uh, he now has a, a, a chronic heel injury, which I think is fine. 
fun. <laughs> uh, you know, with Stoughton and I talked about this on the on the yesterday's episode of the show where. Uh, I mean, Tulisky's not really ever been a guy with a ton of range. He's a big dude. He, he's he's very uh, sure-handed, and he is, uh, you know, watching him play every day is a delight because he you can see how much work he puts in to maximize what he has. You know, how he's always throwing on the run, and he sets himself up all the time to uh, to um, to make the plays on the run and to and to make that kind of sling it across the infield, sort of across his body, and he does it really well. But um, I wonder if, if at some point, especially on the, the artificial surface, that the this might come back to bite guys like well and now with, with Jaime Garcia and Aaron Sanchez and, and Aaron and Marcus Stroman, they have a pretty ground ball heavy staff. You know, with Tulowitzki, he did not look good last year, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the numbers sort of bore that out. What what you're referring to is uh, we have a stat called sprint speed, which measures the foot speed of every runner in baseball. Uh, and it's measured in feet per second, more specifically in their fastest one second window. So the average Feet per second in baseball is 27 feet per second. The elite guys like Buxton Hamilton are over 30. Uh, the slow Pujols catchers, guys like that, are down around 23. Trey Tulitsky last year, 25.2 feet per second. That was, last year, the slowest of the 49 shortstops who qualified, and now we're talking about his heel injury. And, you know, the defensive metrics did not like him very much last year, and it's now been three years in Toronto where he's either hit, hit okay or not at all like last year. And we're talking about a guy who's 33 with a long history of injuries. So um, while I agree with you that he's a very good, let's say, technical shortstop, uh, there's there's just only so much you can do on that surface with this kind of injury when you're already starting from a very low position in terms of speed. And I know he said that he's going to play shortstop or he's not going to play, and I don't see them moving him. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, they have built a ground ball heavy staff, at least for some of these guys. And you've got a shortstop who... I don't feel super confident in now, like at third base, Josh Donaldson is very good. Uh, at second base, it's sort of hard to know because Travis is never healthy enough to play all that long. Mm. Uh, but that, that would worry me if you've got a guy up the middle and maybe two guys, depending at second base that you don't feel terribly confident in. I know that nobody liked, uh, you know, Darwin Barney or Ryan Goins cause they just couldn't hit, but they're both very good fielders. And I wonder if this is maybe a, a step back for them. Well, uh, they keep talking about all the depth that they've built, obviously, and uh, raise the floor has been a bit of a, a mantra among Blue Jays fans uh, as they've added, you know, the Yandrevis Solarte and, and Alevis Diaz, where, I mean, I don't think that Diaz, no one's ever going to confuse Diaz and Ozzie Smith, but, uh, I mean, he could probably stand there and do that job, right? And I, it would be hard, he'd be hard, other than to be very error-prone, it would be hard-pressed for him to be worse than Tulowitzki in a, in a range um, perspective. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, but that's all, that is setting a pretty low floor, right? Like when you say it's hard for him to be worse than our starting guy, um, I agree with you, but that's not exactly the uh, the most optimistic outlook going into the season. I-, I think Diaz is fine. He was clearly overrated that first year with St. Louis because he started pounding home runs like, in a way he'd never really done before. Uh, and I think he's better than he showed last year. But, you know, he's not – even when he was good in St. Louis, he was never looked at as being a strong defender, and I don't think that's changed now. So I do like the depth that they've built. Um, I, I like Solarte a lot, actually. I think he's going to be a great fit on this team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have older guys like Donaldson and Tulowitzki who've had some injury issues. Travis, obviously, has is, is rarely been healthy. So I think building the depth with competent major leaguers is somewhat underrated. You know, you just fill in the black holes, and it's not sexy to go out and get a Solarte or a Diaz, but it's what every team needs. You look at, like, the Dodgers and the Astros last year, and what did they have? Yeah, superstars, but they had depth. They had lots of depth. And I think the, the Blue Jays have done a good job of that, not only in the infield, but also in the outfield. You know, they've added several guys in the outfield, probably more than they can even 
uh, take north of them to start the season. So that is one thing I think they've done a, a, a pretty strong job on this year is is depth. And I think they're going to need it just because there's a lot of question marks up and down the line. I was good. We, we were going to talk about Aaron Sanchez. We'll get to that. But now we're going to talk about the outfield. We're going to talk about Kevin Pillar, uh, uh, <laughs> a, a favorite topic of yours. Uh, again, we're talking about defense. Pillar is, is a player that has very uh, polarized uh, opinions among Blue Jays fans. He is visually a treat to watch. He dives around. He's a gamer. He plays every day. And he makes spectacular catches. But I think... Uh, you know, the, a few years ago, in particular 2015, the advanced metrics. I'm not sure what the Statcast stuff would say, but you know, more of the public facing, the DRS and the and the UZR, they loved him. Um, but I think he has become less of a darling of those kind of numbers. And then the the Statcast numbers are maybe even a little bit more pessimistic about his ability to go and get it. So this is the point, Mike, where you will now alienate a significant portion of this listening audience by telling us what you think about Kevin Pillar. I'm going to very, very briefly digress, and this this will come back to Pilar, I swear, but I, I related to Pilar, I have a good Blue Jays story to tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Pilar probably, of any outfielder in baseball, is is known as this generation's like Jim Edmonds, right? He dives, he makes these phenomenal-looking catches that you're not really sure if he actually had to dive for or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I really enjoy doing with the StatCast data is what we can do is we know how far a guy had to run and what direction and how much time he had to get there. Uh, and so it's pretty easy to find similar catches and then when you look at the different skill level of the outfielders, you can find that very different outcomes happen. So one way I did uh, I used to show this last year was I looked at two exactly similar catches and I put them in side-by-side video, uh, timed exactly right. And I showed one guy coming in and making it a really easy catch and never think about it. And I showed right next to him another guy coming in and making a dive that got a huge standing ovation. Mm-hmm. It turned out that the two guys I used at the time uh, was Randall Gritchick coming in and making an easy catch, and Curtis Granderson coming in and making the dive. Mm-hmm. And so I used that video for the piece I wrote. And then, of course, they both end up with the Blue Jays, and I saw that the Blue Jays Twitter account tweeted out that video to say, welcome to Toronto, guys, which I got a big kick out of. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, I thought that was funny, but it goes back to kind of Polar. Yes, if I'm ranking guys who look cool and make the most fantastic-looking catches, he's probably right up there with, let's say, Kiermaier and Byron Buxton. Right, he is he is flashy. He makes these ridiculous over his shoulder diving Superman catches. Uh, but yeah, the, the data doesn't like him so much, and partially because I'm I'm not convinced that he needs to dive on some of those catches. He made this unbelievable catch last year going to left center, uh, almost up to the wall, like Superman dive, lays out, makes the catch. Everybody loses their minds, and I found pretty much the identical play that Chris Owings is not even really an outfielder, but he was playing in there for Arizona last year. Uh, he got there and he had to run and he made a nice running catch, but he didn't dive and nobody noticed it. And that's sort of where this all goes back to. It's not about how cool do you look. It's how many balls do you get to? As you said, the, the advanced metrics have some thoughts, but even if you just look at literally the amount of, of outs that he made, if you look at the last three seasons, he's played essentially the exact same uh, amount of playing time in each of the three seasons. 2015, he caught 440 balls. 2016, 349, and in 2018, excuse me, 2017, 325. So he has, uh, I, I misread some of those numbers, but 440 to 337 to 316. It, it's dropped just in terms of balls that he has gotten to. Now, part of that could be how many balls the, out, the pitching staff has let up uh, or the difficulty of those balls, and that's certainly true. But when I see that, that immediately says to me, this is a guy who's just simply not making the plays. If you look at the StatCast numbers, uh, in 2016, he was like top five, right? We had him as a uh, 15 outs above average, which is our version of DRS that's only accounting for range, right? And so the way you could read that in 2016 
is based on all the balls that were hit to him, an average outfielder would be expected to catch 84%. And he caught 88% of those. So he was adding value. And then you look at 2017, and it's not quite the same. We actually had him as like basically average or slightly below. Uh, and yeah, he was expected to catch 87%, and he only caught 86%. But some of those were great looking, like no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the biggest pushback I get from people is that, well, he looks great. He makes these cool plays. Why did the numbers hate him? Because it's not extra credit for looking cool. It's did you get to the ball or not? And it seems whether you look at the traditional stats or the advanced stats or the stat stats, he simply did not get to many balls. And uh, I think that really hurt a guy like Marco Estrada, you know, who had two pretty similar seasons. If you look at the peripherals, but the outcomes weren't there. And, you know, you surround Pilar with what was a pretty poor outfield last year, with Pierce and Jose Bautista. And I know it'll be better this year, but yeah, I do really think that that outfield defense hurt more than people might've thought it did. I, I, uh, I don't think you'd have to be pretty, you know, in den- pretty much in denial to to suggest otherwise, I think, especially um, having watched them. And I think that this year, um, uh, not only uh, will the defense around him be better, so maybe he's able to kind of uh, not have the expectation to, that he feels the need to range so far, or maybe he could play a little bit deeper or more shallow, whatever it might be, um, and, and see if that can maybe help him pull in a few others. But also the other thing I think about is you look at the depth that they've added, where with him diving around the field like that, uh, you know, that's going to start to take wear and tear on his body. That's going to start to maybe affect him at the plate. If he's got a sore elbow, got a sore shoulder, got a bunch of jacked up ribs, whatever it might be. Um, But now the team is in a better position where previously, if he was going to miss time, the Jays were kind of out of luck. I mean, you you know, Ezekiel Carrera is nobody's center fielder. And and I don't know that Grichuk is especially um, a strong candidate as a center field. But I feel like if you go the Blue Jays route and like line, three right fielders across all the way across the outfield maybe you're better off than having like a what would what we view to be a standout center fielder and then two fire hydrants in the corner so uh i I think that the outfield defense can't help but be better this year and i'm hopeful that kevin pilar is able to sort of uh you know maybe recover some of that form but again he's getting older he's 29 now uh and he just doesn't hit enough that if that if the offense if the defense isn't there he starts to become a questionable starter every day although that's what he's been for three years bless him i was just gonna say isn't it weird at least from my external perspective to think of the blue jays as maybe having a pretty decent defense uh having a lot of talent in the rotation and then i'm not actually sure they're gonna hit enough like that is the exact opposite of what i thought about this team a couple years ago when it was donaldson and Encarnacion and, and bautista and these guys all at their peaks uh it's it's very it's just bizarre for me to think about a Blue Jays. Team it it is point. crazy. I think that the, the 2016 Blue Jays that made it to the ALCS are sort of overlooked as a very, very, very pitching and defense heavy team. Like that's what carried them. The offense was not anywhere near what it was the year before um, in 2016. Uh, especially oddly, they struggled against left-handed pitching, which makes you know no sense at all. Um, in, even in 2016, and then now you're, you're looking. You know, when, when I look at projections, and, and that's something that we've talked about on our show uh, previously, but uh, projections still hold Troy Tulowitzki in a very high regard because he was so good for so long that, uh, that the, the maybe uh, rapid decline uh, as his body further deteriorates has not been reflected in, like, Bacota and Steamer and all the other numbers that might be out there, where the reality of watching Troy Tulowitzki and the reality of the sh- changing face of the game, as Stoughton and I talked about yesterday, is... Uh, it makes it harder to be a 33-year-old baseball player, full stop. And when you're a 33-year-old baseball player who maybe loses a bit of bat speed and is also battling heel injuries and hip injuries and whatever else is is, is plaguing uh, the likes of a Tulowitzki, 
uh, to get to the level that maybe you should be at based on your age and previous abilities is, is difficult. So a lot of the, the, those numbers seem to, you know, there's a lot of upside or a lot of reason to believe that the Blue Jays can, can score a lot of runs this year. But I'm with you, and I kind of struggle to see it. Uh, unless you are like a true Justin Smoke believer and a true Teoscar Hernandez believer that what he did in September is what he can be and, and that Randall Gritchuk can bounce back, which I don't think there's a lot. I, I'm, I feel pretty confident in that. I like his tool set and what he's done in the past. So, you know, there, there is reason for hope, but to, to, to think that, well, as long as the Blue Jays can, you know, lean heavily on their starting pitching, which is all kind of a, a mixed match, uh, you know, the, these older dudes that are, that are, that are still, um, you know, kind of doing it, it does. It is a bit of a worrisome. They're they're in a bit of an odd spot, I think, this year. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do believe in Tasker Hernandez a little bit. Like I know, with, you know, small sample, but the numbers, uh, like the exit velocity, the, the putting the ball in the air, they all really support what he did. And I guess I will say I will always die on the Steve Pierce hill. Like I've been a Steve Pierce supporter for years because I just love that right-handed guy who can play first base in the outfield, mm. but he never stays healthy long enough to show it. So, I, I mean, I agree with you. There's some holes. If you look last year, the only regular Blue Jays. Uh, who were above average hitters all year were Smoke and Donaldson. I love Donaldson. He'll do it again. I, I hope Smoke will do it again. But yeah, like you said, so many so many questions, but a lot of depth. And um, I really I think that's a good situation for them. All right, so let's let's. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time, and now you got to get out of here. We'll talk real quick about Aaron Sanchez. So my my, my contention is that the Super Baseballs that they're using now, uh, which uh, Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins said he what did he say that there's like there's less less variance in the balls now in, in a very like oddly league stoogy kind of way to approach it like oh no no it's they're not doctored or super baseballs they're just more <laughs> uniform now anyway I'm worried about Aaron Sanchez again being a guy who throws so hard and and is a ground ball pitcher as we kind of talked about a little bit earlier um but I you're here to, to rest my uh to set my fears aside to let me know that Aaron Sanchez is a very unique pitcher I'm, I'm telling you what you're going to tell me just so you know uh, that he's very unique and his high spin rate and high velocity makes him, uh, he'll be fine in this current baseball environment. Well, I think he'll be somewhat fine. I, I guess I would say that, uh, listen, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, I think he was a little overrated because as much as nobody cares about wins and losses, it's still hard to look past 15 and two, mm-hmm. right? Like those are, those are big shiny numbers. Uh, but I, you know, I, I always have a tough time when I see a guy who, what is he like six, four throws 95 and he just doesn't, doesn't strike anybody out. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, it's not what you expect at all. I guess it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously Strowman is not 6-4, but it's kind of the same thing. He's got nasty stuff, doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, but Sanchez really, like, his sinker is one of the most dominant pitches in baseball. And, uh, you know, I don't know that the ball is going to hurt a guy who keeps it on the ground so much because, you know, it's, it's if it's on the ground, it's not going to leave the park. That might be the best thing you can do if you can make it happen, uh, which is easier said than done. I was, I was reading something about his really good year in 2016, that what he did more than pretty much anybody against right-handed hitters was to get them to uh, hit the ball to the opposite field. It was really, really difficult to pull the ball on him because of the way his sinker drops and moves. And, you know, that's really good. If you're forcing righty hitters to not be able to pull the ball, that is going to be a really good way to prevent them from getting to your power. I mean, you've seen this from guys like, like Donaldson, right? Not only are they trying to put the ball in the air, but they're trying to pull it. So if he could prevent that, I think that'll be really big for him. And I also think that if, uh, you know, Going back to the defense for a second, Bautista was not a very strong defender last year, or probably the year before. Whoever is going to play out there, whether it's, it's Gritchick or anybody, is going to be almost by definition a little bit better. So I think if he's getting these balls hit out to the right field, the ones that are in the air, uh, to a, a better defensive outfielder, I think that's going to help him. But 
listen, you know as well as I do, there's only one thing that's going to define his season. It's, is he going to stay healthy? Is the finger going to be there? I have no idea. You have no idea. The Blue Jays have no idea. All signs are go so far, but I mean, that is, that is a really tough thing to uh, stay whole for an entire year. If he does it, then I think he can be really good, even though I, I think he's going to stay at that maybe secondary level just because he's not going to get enough strike games. It's always it's always encouraging when you see photos from of Aaron Sanchez standing with Al Leiter and they're like looking at their fingertips, like staring quizzically, and now Leiter's giving him tips on how to keep your fingers in shape. That's always something that you you want to see that from the guy that you kept instead of Noah Syndergaard. Uh, and also, you've now given me, you've given me nightmares uh, because I love that I love that approach and I love the idea like he's really good at not getting uh, righties to pull. And that was a, that was a big stat. I don't know if it was that year. He had give, only given up like three home runs to right-handed batters up to some point in his career. And then they sort of normalized and, and regression happened to him at, uh, no, in 2016. But now, you're like, I, I'm thinking, this is great. He's going to he'll throw that two-seamer. It'll start you know, just off the plate in the, uh, on the outside, and then he can kind of fade it back in. But now I'm picturing like Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez all dumping those cheap little home runs into the into the into right field at Yankee Stadium, and uh, and now and now my day is ruined because they're just gonna dink and dunk and flip it over that stupid garbage right field in the joke stadium. It's terrible. <laughs> the Yankees are horrifying. The Yankees are such a terrifying team. But I don't want to take too much more of your time. We could go into why the Yankees are horrifying and why the Red Sox are probably a little underrated at this point. But we're gonna let you go. So Mike, plug plug what you got to plug. Let everybody know where they can find you. Well, thank you very much, Drew. I, you can find me on Twitter, Mike underscore Petriello, P-E-T-R-I-E-L-L-O. The StatCast podcast is at statcastpodcast.com and uh, somewhat regularly on MLB Network. So that is, uh, that's where I am. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, of course, you can get us at, uh, at patreon.com slash birds all day where you can ship us a couple bucks a month. You got a Patreon exclusive content. Super bad. We did one yesterday all about the spring training Mad Libs. So if you haven't checked that out, we encourage you to do so. Uh, thank you, Mike. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week.